Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, today's Palm Sunday. Today's the day we, we remember that, uh, that Jesus actually rode into Jerusalem and people hailed him as king. He rode in as a victorious king, not on a mighty stallion, but on a humble uh, donkey. But the people knew he was king. They bowed down to him as he walked on that Jerusalem road. They, they uh, put cloaks on the road. They waved palm branches and they declared that, that Jesus was the king. It says that they were overjoyed in their worship. And, and when uh, the, the leaders, the religious leaders of the time told Jesus to tell them to stop worshipping, Jesus said, even the rocks will cry out. They had seen this man for the last three years and they knew that he was no ordinary man. They knew that he was a king and they bowed down in worship to him. I really, I just want to talk about, I'm going to get very practical in this message about what it means to worship King Jesus. But I actually want to go right back to the beginning. When when Jesus was first acknowledged as king and people came and bowed down to him. Let me read from uh, Matthew chapter 2 and it's going to feel a little more like Christmas than Easter for a minute. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, just note, this is a story of two kings. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way and the star they'd seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Can everyone say overjoyed? On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now some of you right now are feeling so festive that you are ready to go home, put the tree up and start singing Christmas carols. Come on, who, who is I? Oh, yeah. I can see a few here. Me too. I've still got Christmas lights up in my backyard from Christmas. I, I love Christmas and I, uh, I, I'd happily uh, celebrate it all year round. I hate to burst your bubble this morning, but this is actually two years after the birth of Jesus. All right, there was no camels in the stable. There was, while the West Shepherds were washing their socks and six geese were laying and there was a partridge in a pear tree, there was no wise men coming to the stable. This is actually two years after 
the birth of Jesus. He's no longer in the stable, he's now in a house and he's about two years old. But I'm pretty confident that come December, the wise man will be back in the stable because it just kind of uh, makes the story even better. This is, this is two years later and what's happened is that uh, 700 years before this, all right, the people of Israel were in exile in, uh, in Babylon, which is now Persia. And while Daniel is there, everyone remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den? It's a real time in history. It's actually recorded uh, in many places in history. Daniel is in exile in, uh, in, in Babylon. And while he's there, he, he has some dreams, some visions of the future. And they get written down in the history books of this pagan culture in Babylon. And they get written down about there'll be a time when this king rises up and, and he'll have this kingdom. And then this king will rise up and he'll take over that kingdom. And that kingdom will be bigger than any kingdom this world has ever seen. And it keep, he keeps going on like this. And he's, he's showing, giving these visions of the future. And then he says that, that a king will come. A king will come who will sit on a throne that will never end. His power will never be taken away. It will be a kingdom that will reign forever. And what's been happening is, people have been reading Daniel's prophecies in Persia over hundreds of years. And they found that he was right. God had given him a picture of the future. And they've been watching all of these prophecies unfold. And then they get to this king that will come, whose reign will never end. And they know that now is the time because Daniel has prophesied it. And so these magi, who are wise, intelligent, extremely well-read men, who have been studying history turn up in Jerusalem. It means they've travelled about 1,500 kilometres, which back then would probably took them six months with all their caravans of camels, with all that they brought with them, because they knew that now was the time. And they get to Jerusalem because it was the centre of religious and political influence in Israel. And they, they say, where is this king that was to be born? And it says here that everyone was disturbed because they've been waiting for the Messiah to come, but for 400 years, God has been silent. He hasn't said anything. And now these outsiders turn up in town and say, now is the time. And they've heard nothing about it. And the whole of Jerusalem is disturbed. But Herod gathers the, the, his wise men, the experts in the Bible, and says, well, where is the Messiah to be born? And it says in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, he's to be born in Bethlehem. And so the wise men hop back on their camels and they trot off to, uh, to Bethlehem and they see the star that they've been following appear over this particular house, probably just an ordinary house in Bethlehem. And just get this, they go in the door and it says that they're overjoyed, wise, intelligent, well-read, educated men 
go in the door and their hearts are filled with joy and they bow down and they worship a two-year-old. Picture this for a minute. A two-year-old. A two-year-old toddler is running around. And these wise, educated, well-read men bow down to a two-year-old. As I said, this is a story of two kings. You know, King Herod says, you know, tell me when you find him so I can go and worship him. And Christmas wasn't that long ago. So we remember that that's a lie. He doesn't want to worship King Jesus. He wants to wipe him out. His fear and his pride gets in the way of him worshipping the king. Two kings. One is fearful, full of pride, refuses to worship the king from heaven. Another king is two years old, wandering around in nappies. No power, no wealth. Nothing to offer these wise men who are incredibly wealthy. And they come in, they bow down, and they worship him. I've got a two-year-old granddaughter. I love her. She's the centre of attention and affection whenever she comes into our house. But I've never bowed down to worship her. And they, they, they give this two-year-old king expensive gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. They're not normal gifts for a two-year-old. Two-year-olds get cool gifts like dolls' houses and train sets, stuff to play with. And two-year-olds don't give very good gifts. This is the best gift my two-year-old has given me. That is a drawing of Dumpa. She can't say Grandpa very well and everyone finds it extremely funny that she calls me Dumpa. And so I think it's going to stick. This is her best drawing of Dumpa. And so she gave it to me as a gift to put on my wall. That's what she's capable of. She's given me another gift which keeps on giving. You see, under these very manly, masculine cowboy boots I got on up here, this is what my foot actually looks like. <laughs> she found nail polish and she decided that it would be a great gift for Dumpa to paint his toes. And it's the gift that keeps on giving because I keep forgetting that she's done it and I put my thongs on to go to Woolies and I'm walking around and I look down too late. And people are giving me strange looks. I'm about to get kicked out of the Baptist Union any time now. This, this is important. All right? They don't bow down and worship King Jesus because of the good gifts that he'd given them. They bowed down to worship because they recognised that he was the gift from heaven. And this is where it's important for us. We do not come together like this to worship because of the good gifts that Jesus has given us through the week. And so if we've had some really good things he's given us through the week, we worship him with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength. But if we've had a tough week, then we've got nothing to worship him for. You see, our worship does not hinge on the good things that God has done for us through the week. 
Our worship hinges on the fact that we have a king who has been given to us, who stepped down from the throne of heaven, came down and became a man so that he could take our place on a cross and we could be in his loving arms for all of eternity. And that is a gift that will never change. That is why we come to worship here on a Sunday. Our worship is not dependent on how good our week has been. Our worship is dependent on how good King Jesus is. And that'll never change. You see, there's never been another king like Jesus. These magi give him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. and They're very particular and pertinent gifts. Gold was a gift for royalty. It's what kings gave to one another out of their treasury to honour their royalty. They gave gifts of gold and they're saying, Jesus, we know you're a king. You know, myrrh was a gift to, to uh, anoint dead bodies to stop them from smelling. And they're actually pointing to Jesus' humanity and that the king of heaven has stepped down and he's become human. And then they gave him a gift of frankincense. And if you travel particularly through Asia, you will see people today still burning incense to statues, to gods. This is a gift for a god. As they come into the house and they bow down to this two-year-old, they're acknowledging that Jesus is, is king, he's royalty. Jesus is human. He's going to die. And Jesus is God. He's divine. You see, there's, no, there's never been another king like Jesus. Jesus is a king in heaven. Jesus became human. Philippians chapter 2 uh, says, you know, he being in very nature God, actually being God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to, but he actually became nothing. He was found in appearance as a man. He became the servant of all, and he was even obedient to death on a cross. Therefore, it says, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question is, are you going to worship him now? Are you going to bow down and worship him now? Are you going to confess with your mouth now that Jesus Christ is King? Or are you going to wait till it's too late? You know, King Herod, he let fear and pride stop him from worshipping the king. So much so that he had every boy under the age of two wiped out from Bethlehem. Now, none of us are going to do that. But I wonder if some of us here would say fear and pride gets in the way of our worship. Now, fear of what others will think of us. You know, pride of, am I really going to bow down and surrender my life to another and declare that he has power and jurisdiction over my life? 
just like King Herod, fear and pride gets in the way for us. These uh, magi, they, they walk into the room and they're overjoyed. This is not just cerebral. This is not just head knowledge. We're acknowledging that Jesus is the king. They're not just believing something in their mind. Something is going on in their heart. And then they express their worship with their bodies. They bow down. They literally lying face down on the floor, you know, before this child king. You see, it's not just cerebral. They're expressing their worship. There's a freedom in their worship. I remember uh, my, my best mate growing up, it was best man at my wedding, his uh, girlfriend went over to England to work. I can't remember if it was for six or 12 months, but it was for a long time. And uh, we had dinner the night before. She's uh, coming home and uh, he said to me, I just can't wait to see her, you know, but I'm, I'm, I love her so much, but I, uh, I'm going to wait for three months before I decide to propose. I just want to make sure, you know, I'm making the right decision. I get a phone call the next night. And he says, oh, I just want to let you know, Jay, so I got engaged today. <laughs> I said, you told me just 24 hours ago you're going to wait for three months to make sure she's the right one. And there was silence on the end of the phone for a moment. He says, yeah, I know, but I couldn't help it. <laughs> I just saw her. I realised how much I loved her. I don't want to be with her forever. I actually wonder if that's what's going on for these very wise, well-educated, wealthy men as they walk into the room and they actually see this one that's been prophesied about for 700 years. You see, that's one of the reasons we know that Jesus is no ordinary king. You know, one person fulfilled 300 prophecies over seven centuries, in multiple different cultures and languages. No person can organise that. No one person can bring that all together. Only God could have orchestrated that. And these men who've seen this prophecy, just one of the prophecies from 700 years earlier, that they recognise that Jesus is not like any other king. And they bow down. And they worship him. They've come from a culture where kings often elevated themselves, made statues of themselves and, and tried to convince the people that they were divine and got people to bow down. But these men, as they walked into the room, they knew that this was the true king of heaven. And they bowed down, they expressed their worship, they were overjoyed. This became emotional for them. I just want to finish this morning just looking at five ways that the scriptures tell us to worship King Jesus. You know, sometimes we just get into the habit of coming here on a Sunday and, and, and coming here and singing some songs and listening to some messages and praying some prayers. I just want us to think about afresh this morning, why do we do this? And I think this is, a, is pertinent for the church right now. It's certainly pertinent for our church, but I think the church in Australia... I really believe this is a time where God is calling us to a new joy in praise. 
We see on Palm Sunday that people were overjoyed in the presence of King Jesus. Right at the very beginning when Jesus has done nothing, they're overjoyed in the presence of King Jesus. I believe he's releasing a new joy in praise and he's calling his church, particularly his church in the West, to a new surrender in worship. We've become far too clever, far too resourced, far too confident in ourselves, comfortable in our surroundings. And he's calling his church to a new surrender in worship, to worship him with all of our lives and a new intimacy in prayer. Let me just go to some really practical things that the scriptures tell us how to worship King Jesus. Firstly, clapping. The Bible says this, clap your hands, all you people. Put your hand up if you are all people. Come on, put your hand up if you're people. Put your hand up if you know how to clap your hands. Come on, put it up. Are you sure? You know, I, I, I'm not sure us Baptists know how to clap very well. I preached in a Pentecostal church a little while ago. I'm two minutes into my message. Two minutes. And I had three standing ovations. There was hankies waving, there was hands clapping, and I had to stop them. I, I said, look, people, you don't understand. I'm a Baptist pastor. He says, to get Baptists to clap, I've got to get Jesus to walk into the room in bodily form. <laughs> if you keep going like this, I'm going to be preaching till next Sunday. You know, you're really taking up all my time. But we clap, don't we? You know, we, we, we clap when we go to a great concert. We, we clap amazing talent on the stage. You know, when we go to a school awards night, we clap participation even when there's no talent on stage. <laughs> You know, we, we clap participation. It's good to clap participation. We even go to movies and we clap amazing talent on the screen even when they're not in the room. You know, we know, you know, clapping is a way of, of, of recognising, you know, amazing, wonderful talent. Now, when we clap in church, this is important, we're not clapping the amazing talent on this stage, but we are so blessed. Aren't we blessed? Why don't we just put our hands together and thank God for the amazing talent on this stage. But we're actually clapping our amazing God. Let me just do a little test to see whether we do know, you know, just how to clap King Jesus. You know, Jesus did leave the throne of heaven. He stepped down into the sin and brokenness of this world. And he's been through every temptation that you've ever faced. Your God, your Saviour has been through every temptation that you've ever faced and yet he did not sin. And because he knew that you would spend eternity outside of the God's loving embrace, he willingly, about a week, a week and 2,000 years ago, turned and headed to Jerusalem knowing that he was going to his death. He went to that cross with your name in his heart and my name on his lips, knowing that it was our only hope for salvation. And on that cross, every awful sin that you've ever committed and ever thought about was nailed to that cross. As that blood poured down from his face, that blood covered over all of your sins that once was in the way of you being in relationship with God. And his dead body was laid in a tomb. But on the third day, when the women went to that tomb to anoint his dead body, there was no body there. He had defeated the grave. 
He had defeated sin. Hold on. Death could not hold him down. He's a risen king and he's alive forevermore. Come on, just put your hands together this morning. That was just a test. I just wanted to make sure we knew how to clap. I believe it's one of the ways that God just loves us to, uh, to worship him. Secondly, and we do this a lot, singing. Psalm 95 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. To sing for joy is human. We, we always do it. What, what, what do we do when it's somebody's birthday? What do we do? Sing. We're not allowed to blow candles out anymore, but we're still allowed to sing. And we sing for joy when we come together as a nation to celebrate something great. What do we do? We stand and we sing. Australians all let us rejoice. We, we sing for joy when the Australian cricket team wins the ashes, these, these kings of sport, these doyens of manhood. You know, what, what do they do when they get into the dressing room? Someone stands on a table and they all sing with tears flowing down their face. They sing, under the southern cross I stand. And they sing with joy because of the victory they've just won. Now, I've never played for Australia. The closest I ever got was playing second division rugby in Sydney. But when we won a victory, we sung. And it was a ridiculous song. It started out very biblical, bless them all, bless them all. But then it went downhill very, very quickly. It's back to the valley we go. We won't sit here and be disgraced. It's back to the valley and drink with our mates. So we say goodbye to all because the schooners they sell here are small. You won't get protection. I actually have to stop the song there as I will get kicked out of the Baptist Union. But we would sing that song with gusto every week with hands in the air, bashing on the walls, jumping up and down on the floor with our boots. So not only the opposing team knew that they'd lost, but the whole of that postcode knew that we'd won a victory. And then the next morning, Sunday morning, I'd go to church. And we'd stand. He is Lord. He is Lord. He's risen from the dead. Woohoo! <laughs> he. I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. On Saturday afternoon, I, I'm singing with these guys, covered in mud and blood at the top of my voice because we've just put an inflated pigskin over a white line, you know, more times than another bunch of bullheads. And then on Sunday morning, you know, I'm gathering all dressed up in our Sunday best and we're declaring that Jesus Christ has won the victory over sin and death and we're not overjoyed. It just didn't make sense and it still doesn't make sense. We're called to be a people who sing for joy because an incredible victory has been won. If you keep reading in Psalm 95, it says, Sing for joy to the Lord and shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. And if you read right through the Psalms, time and time again, it says, Shout to God. Lift up a shout of praise. In all four Gospels that record the, what went on on Palm Sunday, they all say that the people lined the streets and they shouted, here comes the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
You see, there's a shout of praise. It's one of the ways that we worship to declare the victory. But this is what I want to remind us of today. It's also a shout of faith. Let me just go to Isaiah chapter 54. It says, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labour. He's saying there's a time to shout in faith before God has delivered. Before God's come through for you. While you're still waiting, we're actually called to lift up a shout of praise. Now, most of you won't remember this. There's only a little sprinkling here. Just and Danny and maybe a couple of others about 11 years ago when we decided that God was calling us to plant a church for the first time in 80 years. You gotta remember, we'd never planted a church in 80 years. I remember gathering in a room, and I've got to honour Just here. It actually, it, this started because of a prayer and that the Justin and Danny wrote on a little prayer card about planting a church down in Ormo. I didn't even know where Ormo was at that point. And, uh, and said, we're in. And it just started, a little prayer just started to burn in our hearts. And I remember standing in a prayer meeting. Remember, none of us had ever planted a church. Gateway had never planted a church in 80 years. And we stood in a prayer meeting. I remember there was a moment where we just all lifted up shouts of prayer and praise to God, believing that he was calling us to plant a church in Ormo, even though we didn't know what we were doing. It was before we had uh, any more than two or three people saying, I'm in. We had no money in the bank. We didn't know what we were doing, but we lifted up a shout of prayer, a shout of praise and shouts of, of prayer to God before anything had happened. And God's done something good. God's done something more than what we could have imagined. Not only just seeing what God has done in this community, but because you pioneered something down here, we've now planted campuses right across our city. I'm telling you, there's a shout. There's a shout of praise. We actually believe that God's won the victory while you're still waiting for that delivery to come. We clap, we sing, we shout. This is where I'm just going to get a little uncomfortable for a few people. Psalm 134. It says, we lift our hands <laughs> in the sanctuary. I've had an awesome reminder of this just in the last two years, or last probably six months, to be honest. Just come, if I come back to my two-year-old granddaughter again, when she walks into our house or into our backyard and she hears my voice or she sees me, what does she immediately do? She lifts her arms and she runs to me and just waits to be picked up and embraced. And I love it. It melts my heart every single time and it's been a reminder for me that when we come into worship and we lift our hands as children of the king we lift our hands in worship to our father in heaven he loves it he actually loves it the way of saying I trust you I love the fact that you're here we lift our hands to the king. Say, I trust you, Dad. There's all different ways we can lift our hands. You know, just for beginners, there's the very subtle, 
carry the widescreen TV. <laughs> Just keep it subtle. It's one of my personal favourites. One hand on my wallet, one hand in the air. Just, you know, just to check. You never know who's going to be down here at all, mate. <laughs> and then there's just caution to the wind. You know, don't care who you injure in the process. Just full air traffic controller. I'm not here to judge, you know, whether you lift your hands or not. I just know God loves it. Our Father in heaven loves it. It's an act of worship. It's an act of surrender. It's a way of saying, I trust you, and there's someone more powerful than me. God loves it when you sing for joy. You know that this morning, he's singing over us. Zephaniah 3 verse 17, it says that God himself rejoices over us with singing. We clap, we sing, we shout, we lift our hands. And as I said, I'm not here to judge anyone by how expressive you are in worship, but my question would be this. If the Queen walked in this morning, what would we do? How would our behaviour change if the Queen was in our presence? This is one of my grandfather's favourite photos of um, that little black circle. That's my grandfather. In 1975, as the Queen opened the Sydney Opera House, he said to me he'd never heard such noise, such joy, such cheering, except for when he came back from World War II and the war finished in 1945. He said people just lined the streets. People were cheering and waving. People were just wanted to be as close to the Queen as they could be. So this is just an incredible day of joy. I want to remind us today, you know why we, you know why we worship together on a Sunday? It's because it's Resurrection Day. It's the day that we remember that our King overcame the grave and that he's alive today and forevermore, and he's given us his spirit until he comes again. And so when we come together here on a Sunday, we're remembering that Jesus Christ is our king. He defeated the grave. He's king of kings, of lord of lords. And when we come together on a Sunday, he's in the room. By his spirit, it says he inhabits the praises of his people. That is why now, if, if when school goes back in a couple of weeks' time, if you go and line the streets when your kids are getting on the bus to go for school and start waving flags and lifting your hands, it's going to look weird and your kids won't talk to you for weeks. But if the Queen was on that bus, it's actually a pretty normal thing to do. You know, I love that photo, just watching our young people at youth camp worshipping. Can you put that up for us, Jacob? Got that photo of our young people worshipping. As just said before, as a parent, what else do you want? Your kids just lifting their hands, clapping their hands, singing and shouting for joy because they know that there's somebody who is greater than them more powerful than them. 
and is the saviour of their souls for all eternity. He's worthy of all our worship. I want to encourage us today, for those who aren't young enough to go to youth camp anymore, set the pace in this community. Come here primed on a Sunday. Primed because you've been worshipping during the week. You're coming here, you just love being in his presence because the king is in the room. Last, fifth way, we can bow down. We can uh, clap, we can sing, we can shout, we can lift our hands, we can bow down. This is what happens uh, on Palm Sunday. It's what happens as the, uh, these uh, wise men walk into the room, they bow down and they surrender. It's what Satan wanted Jesus to do. Matthew chapter 4 says, come and bow down before me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, everything that you can see. He knew bowing down was an act of worship and he wanted it. And there are just times, there's moments in life where it's just we need to bow down literally as a picture of what we're doing every day in our lives. To bow down and surrender our lives to the king. Fear and pride got in the way for Herod. He was not going to give up his throne. He was not going to give power to another. And fear and pride can get in the way for us. That can hinder our worship of the King. And I, uh, I know that temptation. We're pride and worrying about what others think of us, fear what it would really mean if we hand over everything to Jesus. But we do have a King, and I'm very grateful for it. I'm grateful when I stop and think about it, there's someone with greater wisdom than me, someone with greater power than me, someone I can turn to in every situation and will never change. We have a king and he's not like any other king. He's worthy of all glory and honour and praise. As the wise men came to Jerusalem, they needed somebody else to explain the Bible to them. But after they came and worshipped the king, they too got a dream of the future, just like Daniel had done 700 years earlier. And I want to encourage you, we come here to worship the king with no other agenda just because he's worthy of our worship. But I know that this is true. Wise men needed someone to explain the Bible to them. After they worshipped, things became clear. They heard God for themselves. And I've seen, I'm going to get the team to come up. I've seen that to be true in my own life. Sometimes I'll walk into worship on a Sunday overwhelmed with things that are happening. And as I recognise that there is one that holds the world in his hands and I, I worship him and I ascribe glory and praise to him that someone is greater than me, fear and anxiety just starts to drop away. You know, sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll come in here and I'm just ridden with guilt because of things I've done in the past. And we begin to sing. And sometimes we sing the words over and over again. You know, that Jesus is our saviour. That on that cross, he wiped out our sins. And sometimes I've needed to sing it over and over again to be reminded I don't have to hold on to guilt and shame any longer. Jesus has washed it away on that cross. And I know this wouldn't be true for anybody else because you're all lovely, and I'm not as lovely. But sometimes I come in here, and my heart's full of anger, 
and bitterness and unforgiveness. I'm angry at what someone's done to me in the past or said about me or thought about me even. And I'm reminded of what Jesus has done for me. How can I hold on to? How can I hold on to that anger and that bitterness and that unforgiveness? And I just start to forgive. And God makes my heart clean again. Sometimes I come in stuck in temptation or sin. I can't seem to get free. I begin to look to Jesus. I worship him in spirit and in truth. And the truth sets me free. That's why we're here every Sunday and we sing songs every Sunday. Because we have a king who's a gift from heaven will never be taken away from us. And as we worship, life gets put back into order. The way it was originally intended to be. One of the reasons I believe this message has been important to me because I believe that when there's a freedom in worship, there's a freedom to witness. You see, we're called not to worship in here, but to worship with the whole of our lives. But I've seen in my own life and in many people around me, when the two, the two are, are correlated, when there's a freedom to worship in this place, there's a freedom to love in this place, there's a freedom to witness out there. There's a freedom to love out there. I just believe we're in a season where God just wants to set us free, to worship Him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. Let's stand together. As we sing this final song today, I just want to remind us that we don't sing it alone. We're not the only ones that are singing this song, but there are churches dotted all over this world. Some really big, some really little. They're singing in all different languages. But today as we sing, all of heaven sings with us. You see, sometimes we, we look at this time in history we're going through and we think it's a pretty dark time. There's turmoil around the world, turmoil around the globe. We're not the first people to go through turmoil. There's been other dark times in history, particularly in the first century. The people were starting to wonder, does Jesus really have power? Is he still in control? And Jesus gives, his, about the year 90, about 60 years after the resurrection, Jesus gives his best mate John a glimpse into heaven. And they're looking around, they're saying, who here has got real power? Who here has got the power to open the words of life, to, de to declare who it is that has eternal life. They look around all of heaven and all of earth and there's only one that they can find. The sacrificial lamb, the one who bled and died for all, who is now sitting not, not hanging on a cross, but sitting on a throne. It says this, Revelation chapter five, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels 
This is happening right now. Numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying, to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Then all the living creatures said, Amen. And all the elders fell down and they worshipped. Come on, let's join in with all of heaven this morning and declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.